Nazis. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of Moira Ghosts, Legends and Lore, with a healthy dose of debunking. Um, we've been debunking and legending and loring for a hundred years now. A hundred years. <laughs> A <laughs> hundred episodes. Holy episodes. shit, dude. I that's know. so wild. That's bonkers. This uh, is nuts. I can't believe we're on episode 100. Yeah. In my mind, like, I keep thinking we just started, like, last year. <laughs> what like, is no, time? What is time? <laughs> what is time, really? The pandemic kind of did that a little bit. <laughs> oh, just a smidge. Just, just a smidge. smidge. I also think it's really funny that a lot of people, like, who were doing podcasts pre-pandemic, like, didn't continue the same way as, like, mm, they did mm-hmm. during. But because we've always done Zoom podcast recording, even though we live 15 minutes away from each other, uh, nothing changed for us. <laughs> nothing changed. pretty wild. We've gone through a lot in the last 100 episodes. We have. We were talking about that a little before we started recording. Uh, yeah. All the different episodes some of our past episodes some of our favorite episodes yeah kim what what rings the bell for you what are some of your favorites <laughs> the last uh, hundred this is like our this is our ghoulish life um well it's funny because you know i'm scrolling through and uh 100 episodes that's a lot it's a lot of topics it's a lot of research. It's a lot of research. <laughs> Even when we, you know, you factor in there's some double episodes in there and a couple sure. interviews and whatever. Uh, but there was ones I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I did this. Uh, I I forgot about Enfield haunting, which is oh. weird. And I How do you that forget? A, Hold on. It was My a while face. ago. Your face. No, <laughs> I know. But when I was first thinking about episodes I'd done, that one did not come to mind. But then going through the list, I was like, oh, that was that was a fun one. Um, it's a cool topic. Your reactions yeah. to things were killing me. <laughs> I loved that. That's posted on our uh, Instagram somewhere it deep, is. deep within. I think uh, it's posted on my Instagram, too. <laughs> I, I think it's posted on all of the Instagrams that we own. Um, it's a great but yeah, it's, it's just I think I look like a Muppet. I think like you you made my face look like Beaker. Like <laughs> I turned into I think, Beaker for Enfield. Yeah. I had like some silly smile on my face because I knew it was coming and I'm just like mm. You're like, oh I know what's about to happen. And I was like, I had no idea. What is that? that? Yep. No, that was that was delightful. Um I I will also say that like the movie curse episodes are all those among are my favorites. Uh, those are f- it's weird to say they're fun to research because in a lot of them, there's a lot of tragedy. But yeah. I, I love, you know, peeling the onion, the non-penis <laughs> onion. I was going to uh, say, there it is. <laughs> I love peeling the onion of of trying to kind of get to the root of of the, I mean, to scully it, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think with the, the movie curse one specifically, uh, I, I very much enjoy doing that. Um, does one come to mind when you think back on our... Oh, many, many, many episodes. I have a lot. I think, you know, oh, yeah. one that I tend to, <laughs> I, I mean, I love that we had Betsy Sodaro on the podcast. Oh, oh yes. We should get and her back. I know. I love Betsy. Betsy's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did the episode about boobs <laughs> and it was a haunted strip club in Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a fun one. Um, I think what really got me jazzed was uh, the Bell Witch. It's 
That's a deep cut. Oh, yeah. That's a deep cut. Um, and if you haven't listened to the, like, original first, like, I don't know, 10 episodes that we maybe, ever did. Maybe skip the first, like, four. I mean, if you you can listen to them, but just know that they were before we got our groove. You know, Stella had to get her groove back. And so we, um, you know, it, they were fun topics. Like, I went nuts with New Orleans when we first started because mm, I went uh-huh. there and did all I this research. I think our first couple were just New Orleans. Yeah, stuff. it was yeah. like the LaLaurie Mansion, mm-hmm. the Rampart Street Murder House, mm-hmm. you know, um, the casket girls um casket girls we had rose on for like the weirdest interview that we've never known how to interview before (laughs) but we learn and we live and that's what what happened but it was fun it was really fun to do and i feel like um the bell witch one i got really jazzed on because of the type of research i did and found for it Mm, mm because i found like the mm -hmm. actual books that were written by the family and used that as resources and so that was like I was very pumped to do that one. I think it was one of the first ones that I had covered that was very Scully-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's like we kind of came into our own of like we started off super hard Scully Mulder. And then I think I've like gravitated over time to the Scully side. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. Scully side. But you know what also was one that I, I usually reference – when I tell people to listen to our podcast, if they haven't listened to it yet, is the Dietzlov Pass one, because that's yeah. also such a weird story. It's a great case. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm fully traumatized by anything having to do with <laughs> cults <laughs> after doing Jonestown. Jonestown. That one- it's really, really screwed me up for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, good memories and bad memories. I know that there have also been some episodes that we've done that have been very heavy. Yes, absolutely. Doesn't uh, make them bad episodes. They're great episodes. No. They're just different. And I think that's, you know, nice to have versatility throughout what we do. It was the Pedro Lopez one. I was getting messages from people who listened that were just like, thanks, I'm crying now. <laughs> I'm like, hey, so was I. Welcome. Welcome to Welcome. the Wet Face Club. That was a um, that that's probably the hardest one for me that I've done was the Pedro Lopez yeah. uh episode. That was that was rough for me. Um that says a lot. <laughs> I oh one, it's I mean it was because it was kids too. If you haven't listened yeah. to that one, uh just it's I again, I, I it's weird to say I think it's a great episode. I think it's um uh I think it's a, a really interesting topic and I think it's good to talk about, yeah. but uh, it is dealing with with a guy who was brutalizing children, so it is a rough listen. Uh, I will say, uh, and this one's a little bit more recent. Man, that Lady of the Dunes update that blew wild, my mind. yeah, wild. That absolutely blew my mind. I did not realize the kind of rabbit hole it was going to send me down, and. Um, I, it's one that I keep telling people I actually want more people to listen to, but I feel like because it's attached to the Lady of the Dunes, and, and the update really actually is mostly about another case. Right. Which was the whole reason why it became an entire episode, not just a quick update, was that uh, it turns out that, that after they identified her, if, again, if you, you haven't listened to either of those episodes, uh, Lady of the Dunes is a, a cold case that recently they identified the the body of the woman who had been murdered and uh the most likely suspect in her murder who is now deceased uh was also connected to another pair of murders and that case was wild 
I always love when we get like have a wrench thrown into cases in the sense that like you find something entirely different and then it uh-huh. pivots the topic to something that like blows our minds in the research process and then we get to share it with each other and we're like, mm-hmm. guess what happened? Guess like what that's happens. it's so fun. So fun to do that. But mm-hmm. you know what else is fun? What? Pants. Pants are fun. The pants, <laughs> the Fresno Nightcrawler descriptions and videos killed me like i still i feel like there needs to be a halloween costume one year of dressing up as the fresno nightcrawler <laughs> like it just needs to happen but start working on that now it's a good idea actually yeah no, not wrong <laughs> I, I was making jokes with um terrence for what we're going to do for halloween this year and we try to be inspired by the dog because he needs a costume too right and so and you guys are you're like a couple's costume person we've become that those people yeah, yeah. to a degree i think um there might have been like a year that we were both like, eh, it kind of goes, but like maybe not, but we'll see. But we love to do a couple's costume. And so now we're doing family costume with a dog. And so w- he was joking that Spooky should be um, Bride of Frankenstein because of his hair. <laughs> and that um, I was like, well, why don't all of us just be a bunch of Bride of Frankensteins together? <laughs> and so Terrence Bride of Frankenstein be, like, family. Drag Bride of Frankenstein with the beard. And I was like, what if I'm Frankenstein and I just do drag? man frankenstein and you do drag be a drag bride of frankenstein and then spooky is child of bride frankenstein there is a son of frankenstein movie well that is spooky he is son of frankenstein (laughs) and bride of frankenstein anyway um love a halloween moment and i'm so happy (laughs) to talk about halloween i feel like now that the fourth of july is over we can like start to focus on fall well, I mean, 100 Days of Horror starts in a couple weeks. And that you know what that means is that means that we're going to have to go to Michael's and look for Halloween decor because that's our <laughs> annual to-do that we do. What's a um, to-do? We got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. But anywho, 100 episodes. <laughs> 100 episodes. Uh, Wild. Is there any that you are like, you know what? I want to revisit this one. I want to maybe do it again now that I have a better, like, handle on research skills or um, it's a topic I feel like I didn't, uh, is still in my head. So I just need to talk about it again. Are there any cases like that for you or any episodes? Yeah, I feel like I could probably do a better job on the um, (laughs) casket girls because that turned into, like, the wildest episode because it shouldn't have been an interview. Um, Fair. Uh, so I feel like I could do, redo that one probably. Uh, but I actually go back to thinking about some of the topics we covered when we did our previous podcast that is not like the best thing ever. It's uh, no. ghost stories. Uh, but um, there was one topic from that that I actually still have on my list to cover about the Undertakers. Um, right. That one I really wanted to do. And that's a Seattle based story. So I know we do a lot of local stuff. I don't know. What about you? Any ones that like stick out to you? I mean, you know, you know, Jake Bird just like lives in my head. Uh, you are actually possessed by Jake I, Bird I, himself. Oh, well, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> I, I use axes a lot less than he did. But it's it's again, it's such a interesting case. And I feel like because I've been continuing to do research on it, I'm hoping to write a book on it. Uh, so I feel like I'm continuing to get more and more evidence evidence and data and what i think i find the most wild is is he's one of those killers where there's not really been a uh, there's not really been a definitive thing written so 
even finding a full victim list is is hard to do, which is something I've been doing. So I hey. have I have a fairly complete one from our our known victims as well as as ones that he's suspected in or ones that he confessed to but probably didn't do. Uh, but but yeah, Jake Bird was a pretty early episode, uh, partially because I I've I did a tea and true crime on him. And I've talked about him at Crypticon. I've talked about him a number of times in various, all of my various venues and presents. I think one of my dark history classes, I talked about him too. That was, I think, yeah, that's what I think first put him on my radar, really, yeah. outside of the Jake Bird Hex stuff, which again, mm-hmm. if you're like, what is this? You can find the old episode if you'd like, uh, but be prepared. That's one that I might come back to and, and nice. redo and make a little bit snazzier this time around. Um but that's a, yeah, that's a case that won't let me go. That is a it's a he's a, a Tacoma axe fiend is what he's sometimes called, and it's a it's real interesting. So that's yeah yeah that that's one that'll probably come back around at some point. I love that full circle. But full I feel circle. like for any newer listeners that didn't listen to any of those episodes or maybe some of those episodes or maybe not all of them, there you go. Go listen to those. Have a good time. You're welcome. Um, Sorry. Sorry, but also I know one of the things that I personally find, you know, difficult is when you find a new podcast that's been established for a while and there's so many episodes, it can be really overwhelming to know where to start or what to listen to first, because sometimes if you listen to the most recent thing, there's no context. You don't know Mm -hmm. about background or inside jokes or whatever. And I think sometimes having a point of reference for newer listeners is good to have of like what the people who create the thing like the most or remember the most. So it's sort of like the first season of Parks and Recreation because I have to say (laughs) I started on season two. I was told to start on season two and I'm glad I did like because Parks and Recreation is now one of my hardcore comfort shows and I, I watch it constantly. It's on in the background all the time. I can tell you when it's on basically any network it runs on which is is mostly comedy central and ifc it's currently on now because normally saturday mornings when i'm around it just is on the television because you have cable because i have cable because you'll pry (laughs) cable from my cold dead hands i love my cable but i just watch uh, it whenever i want because it's streaming (laughs) yes but i don't have to pay for it that's Okay. I mean, I do, but not you the do, same just way. just in a different way. Just in a different way. I like, yeah. I don't know. I like cable, man. I you like commercials. Do. I'm weird. Um, but uh, I feel that way a little bit about some of our early episodes. We're like, you kind of have to hear, you got to see what it was. Like second season, awesome. And the show just kind of goes from there. I go back and watch the first season. The first time I watched it, I didn't particularly care for the first season. But the more I've seen it, the more I'm like, no, the foundation is here. It's grown on me. I like it. I care about these first season people. And I feel that way about our early episodes. Uh, once you have a good foundation and you're like, oh, this is what it became, you can listen to those early episodes and be like, okay, we okay. learned. We learned. They were trying things. Uh, but yeah, it takes a little to sort of get your groove. There was a lot of winging it in the beginning. Um, oh, so much winging it. And I think, too, like it was fun, but also chaotic. So chaotic. <laughs> There was a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck. Oh, yeah. Lots of spaghetti. Lots of spaghetti. And we tried, I mean, because for a while we were trying to, like, listener ghost stories, but that kind of... That fell off real quick. Yeah. Um, But also, 
we have a topic for today. We <laughs> we're do. Not just yeah, talking we're not about just our gonna, episodes. Yeah, we promise. No, we just figured it might be fun to reminisce a little, but we'll we'll get we'll get going with our topic uh, for our one hundredth episode. Go team! I I did pick something for episode one hundred that had it's kind of been on my list a bit. It's another old Hollywood case. Ooh. Um, I like those. I don't. I find a lot of the the cases from that era really interesting. Uh, are you familiar with the disappearance of Gene Spangler? Has that been it on your radar ever? Familiar, but I also have a goldfish brain, so I don't I, trust my brain no, sometimes. Absolutely, and I, I have a feeling it might be something that as I get going, you're going to be like, oh yeah, it's kind of one of those cases. Probably, yep. On October 7th of 1949, aspiring actress Jean Spangler went out for the evening only to never return. Her disappearance not only left behind a young daughter, but countless unanswered questions and remains unsolved to this day. Ooh! Dun dun dun! Okay. <laughs> so dramatic. So dramatic. When am I not? That's I mean. It's my, it's my just resting state. Jean Elizabeth Spangler was born in Seattle. Ooh. This was unintentional, I swear. <laughs> I was gonna say, Kim, you said Hollywood. No, I know, I know. I that was I that had nothing to do with me picking it, I promise you. Uh, she was born on September 2nd of 1923 to Cecil Martin Spangler and Florence a, Spangler. These names are great. It's very, very old Hollywood. Uh, family moved to Los Angeles when she was young. So we, we got Seattle to the picture really quick. She graduated from Los Angeles Franklin High School in 1941. From an early age, she dreamed of being a star. She was well-liked. She was pretty, full of energy, very charismatic. That's something that, that people talked a lot about is, is, how she, is how good she was with people. She worked for a while as a model at a local department store, uh, networked like crazy, understood that that was kind of the name of the business. Not too long after graduating, she got a gig working as a dancer at Earl Carroll's Theater in Hollywood, and I uh, was kind of hoping this might be her break. She started getting some bit parts in movies, mostly extra work and background work, and, and was just constantly on the go. She could not sit still. Mm. <laughs> I feel that. Sounds like a former version of, or she's like the pre-Douthit, pre-Kim. Pre? Yeah, before you. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah. I feel like I still don't sit still. It's, don't, it's, bef it's like you before your time. It's true, because I was not yet born in 1923. Not or unless was I? you're not telling us something. <laughs> My grandmother, no, she wasn't 1923. She's 101- She'll be 102 in November, so she was, what, what is that, 1921? Yeah, yeah. there we go. Go team. There you go, math. <laughs> math. Okay. Part of her networking was meeting men in positions of power, which, I mean, that, that makes sense. You're trying to, to make an impression. You need to, to meet the movers and the shakers. But she ended up marrying a man who was quite ordinary. I mean, he was kind of a dick, but he was quite ordinary. <laughs> Just an was, ordinary dick? He was an ordinary dick. Wow. Uh, Dexter Benner. I don't know why the name, the last name Benner. I'm just like, yeah, you're the worst. His uh, uh, he was a plastics manufacturer industrialist. How did she meet him? At the club. Oh. Yeah, he came there when she was dancing. Uh, however, despite that, 
he didn't approve of her lifestyle. Men. Men. Well, and it's like, this part, this kind of got me a lot. Because, like, uh, my ex pulled that shit with me. He didn't like the theater stuff. And it's kind of like, bro. <laughs> That's so- who you are. That's what you do. Yeah. And we met because of that. So, okay. So that, that, that immediately, reading that, I was already, this might be why I'm a little bit hard on this dude. He, he kind of got on my list pretty early. Uh, so, but she did marry him. They got married in 1942. So she's quite young at this point still. It was not a happy marriage. Uh, I think it was about six months in. She actually filed for divorce, citing that Benner was mentally cruel. Oh. But did not see the divorce through. And on April 22nd of 1944, she gave birth to their daughter, Christine. Well, that's the opposite of a divorce. Yeah, that kind of links you to another human being for quite a while. So Benner was drafted. He was stationed overseas. And Jean started having affairs. Uh, which, honestly, I can't blame her because Dexter seems like the worst. But I, I did kind of wonder when I was reading this, like, why she stuck with the marriage? Did it, is it because it provided security? Is it because of her daughter? Uh, did she, did she genuinely love him? She was very young too. So, you know, we all do stuff when you were young that we later regret. But uh, yeah, so she's having all of these affairs. And one of the affairs was a serviceman who I only saw referred to as Lieutenant Scotty. What a good name. We should have started calling my friend Scotty, Lieutenant Scotty. Scotty listens to this podcast. Scotty, this is about you. Uh, I hope it's not because Lieutenant Scotty was physically abusive to her. Oh, no. And she was showing up to the theater with black eyes and bruises. Was not my friend, Scotty. No. So (laughs) we're so sorry, Scotty. Sorry, Scotty. Not you. And when she tried to break up with him, he got really violent with her and he actually threatened to murder her. That's not a good sign. (laughs) It's not a good sign. By the time Dexter returned from serving, Jean had drained the bank account and wrecked the car. (laughs) So Dexter wasn't stoked about that. He filed for divorce in 1946. Uh, But the really shitty thing is he took Christine away. They got embroiled in this horrible custody battle, and he was supposed to be, like, bringing Christine for visitation rights. But he refused to bring her to those appointments. There were 23 incidents when he didn't bring Christine to the visits with her mother. And he threatened Jean that he would fix it so you'll never see her. Oh, my God. That's messed up. That's super messed up. Uh, He was smearing her name, trying to make her look bad, saying that she, quote, preferred parties to priorities. Uh, But Jean was able to get guardianship back of her daughter in 1948. Jean's still dancing at uh, Earl Carroll's theater. She picked up some other dancing gigs. She was getting TV jobs. She got a part in a Three Stooges episode, which I found actually on YouTube. Nice. Uh, She finally had enough small parts to uh, join SAG, so that was a really big deal. Her financial situation, though, wasn't great, partially because she was paying her father's hospital bills. Oh. So by the early fall of 1949... She had spoken to a friend about how she was expecting to be coming into some money. She'd been seeing an influential man. Her friend wasn't really sure if the implication was that Jean was going to extort him for money or if 
just being in the relationship with him was going to be providing some funding. She also allegedly confided that she was three months pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I do need to say this was never officially verified, obviously. Um, And she refused to divulge the identity of the father, but she said she knew who it was. That's sketch. Well, I mean, I understand not necessarily wanting to be like, especially if it was someone of note or significance. Uh, And to be fair, there was also a number of men that she was actively linked to, including Ronald Reagan. (laughs) What? Really? Well, because this was his actor years, right? Oh, yeah. And his family attended the same church as her. Her name was also linked to Thomas Ellery Evans, uh, who is a, a known gangster, Thomas Lee, who is a gambler as well as a mobster. So, you know, she had kind of the entertainment world, but she also met a lot of people on the mob side. And the mob in Los Angeles at this point was quite the thing. A few weeks before she disappeared, she also mentioned to actor Robert Cummings that she had a new romance and was having the time of her life. Yeah, good for her. Get it, girl. Uh, She also was saying it wasn't particularly serious, but that she was very happy. Okay. At this point in time, Jean was living with her mother, Florence. On October 7th of 1949, her mother uh, went out of town to Kentucky to visit family. And according to an article that ran in the Los Angeles Times, Jean's mother would later say, quote, I told Jean before I left that I shouldn't go, that I had a premonition something would happen. But she said, now, mother, I'm a big girl now, and I can take care of myself. How I wish I never made the trip. Oh. Now, Florence would watch Christine when Jean was out working or just going out. uh, But obviously, she is unavailable because she is in Kentucky. So her sister-in-law, Sophie, watched Christine. Jean left home about 5 or 5.30. I saw different accounts of the exact time. And Sophie said she was dressed in a long white coat and slacks. Sophie would later say, quote, She smiled at me, and then her little girl Christine asked where she was going. Going to work, Jean answered again, but she winked at me when she said it. Jean told Sophie she was meeting with her ex-husband, Dexter, to talk about the fact he was over a week due in child support. She also was going to ask him for an increase in the money he was giving her. Uh, After that, she was going to be on set for a film shoot. And she said, wish me luck, as she headed out the door. When Jean wasn't back the next night, Sophie reported her missing to the police. And initially, they didn't do anything because they assumed she'd maybe met a man or had gone out partying. Uh, Despite the fact the family was like, no, she wouldn't do that without saying something. She wouldn't leave Christine like that. In fact, even when Jean was going out or when she was working, she would regularly call to check in on Christine. So her going completely radio silent was pretty unheard of. Yeah, that makes sense. And the idea that she would go off with a stranger was even less likely, according to her family. Her mother, Florence, would say she would never strike up a friendship with a stranger. And her sister-in-law, Sophie, backed that up, saying that she was very careful with her friends. When police finally started looking into it, the first person they questioned was, of course, Dexter, Jean's ex-husband, who she was supposedly meeting. And he said that they didn't have a meeting and that he hadn't seen her in weeks. Uh, That's sketch. That's sketch. But also, do you remember how she was going to be working an overnight film shoot? Yes. Well, SAG had no film shoots scheduled or on record. So that meant nothing was filming. That's sketch. 
that's sketch. That means whatever she said was not the truth. So now at this point, they are trying to trace her night to see where she may have gone and who she may have seen. Someone who worked at the farmer's market that was right by her house recalled seeing her at about 5.30 or so, uh, said that they talked with her about a handbag that she wanted to buy for Christine and noted that she seemed to be in good spirits but also appeared to be waiting for someone. She would be spotted about 7 p.m. at a place called the Cheese Box. Ooh, what a good name. I know, right? I want a box of cheese. Just a great name, though. This is a great name. She would be eating a hot dog, though, so I guess not a box of cheese. And she was seen with a man who was tall and clean cut and about 35 years old. It was around this time she called home to check on Christine and warned that the night shoot would go late so she wouldn't be home that evening at all. Now, a couple of the reports say that the call was made at the farmer's market, but regardless, you know, she called home and checked in. This would be the last contact she had with her family. The last sighting that evening happened at about 2 a.m. at the same spot. Uh, the DJ, a man named Sheik Lazon, he liked to, you know, interview people who were there and approached her table to interview her, but she seemed to be in the midst of an argument with two men and they waved him off. Hmm. A gas station attendant named Art Rogers believed he saw her uh, at a gas station that he worked at. He said that she was with a man in a blue-gray convertible, and the man told Art to fill the tank up because they were going to go to Fresno. They are going to look for some pants. He, he noticed the woman who he believed to be Spangler, but he identified her from a picture. So take that for what you will. Sure. But he said the woman was slumped down in her seat and was quiet. As the car pulled away from the gas station, she yelled, get our license plate number and call the police. Now, Rogers did that. But the car was never located. Hmm. The next day, October 8th of 1949. So this is the day that, that she would officially be, like, missing, declared right. missing. On October 9th of 1949. So she was last seen on the 7th. She was reported missing on the 8th. This is now the next day. Right. An employee found a purse in Griffith Park. Just as a little side note, uh, Griffith Park is apparently a known place to dump bodies. Oh, it's haunted as shit. Yeah. Oh, so this is, you You know the name. I'm very familiar with Griffith, Griffith Park. It's like one of the big, biggest parks in L.A. Yeah. That's where um, the Haunted Hayride happens mm -hmm. that I used to go to when I lived there. Griffith Park is also where the Griffith Observatory is, mm -hmm. where lots of films were filmed. Rebel Without a Cause was filmed mm -hmm. there. There's a It's a very historic place, and it's actually, like, massive. It's really big. I made a, some terrible decisions to go there on Easter in the past where Ooh. it was just, like, <laughs> packed with people. It's, like, where you go to have a picnic. And then, like, it's the best spot for kids' birthday parties also. Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty packed usually. But it also has a, an abandoned zoo. And the <laughs> abandoned that's zoo, <laughs> that's where they have the haunted hayride. That's and awesome. so they use it as, like, props. But it's also, like, super, super haunted. Like, it legitimately, there's a creepy, like, carousel. It's... We could come to a whole topic on the Griffith, Griffith Park area. So, yeah, that checks. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, that explains a lot. Mm -hmm. um, 
So her purse is found there. It was almost immediately identified as Spangler's. The handle on it was was broken like it had been grabbed and ripped. Um, and the police did entertain the possibility that the purse had just been abandoned there. But what's weird is that nothing seemed to have been taken from the purse. That is odd. Like, inside, there's still the silver dollar she used to carry around. There was also a note. Uh Uh-oh. The note, which was written in Jean's handwriting, said, Kirk, can't wait any longer. (gasps) Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work best this way while Mother is away, comma. Was she trying to have an abortion or something? So, there's a couple things about this note that are weird. One is that it actually ended in a comma. That is weird. Like she hadn't had a chance to finish writing it. Sure. And had just maybe stuck it in her purse. The mention of the doctor, to your point, the fact that she was potentially three months pregnant leads a lot of people to believe that she was on her way to have an abortion or that she was planning to get an abortion. Mm. Which, again, in 1949 was illegal. Yep. Isn't it great that things have come so... Oh, wait. Uh, sorry. Too soon. <laughs> now, George O'Nan, the first police officer to get a look at the bag and the note, he came to this conclusion. He he assumed that, okay, uh, Jean's on her way to get an abortion. It was, it was something went wrong. She maybe died in the process. Her body was disposed of, so the doctor wouldn't be caught. It's actually a remarkably like common theory for a number of disappearances mm-hmm. of, of young women then. In fact, some people think that that is something with, with our Elizabeth Short case uh, that could have been happening with her as well. Sure. Um, although there's no evidence <sighs> evidence to, to super suggest that. But they started searching the park with the natural assumption that they're probably going to find a body there. However, they do not. And they find no additional clues, which also backs up that possibility of maybe the purse just being dumped there. Maybe like to throw people off or something. To throw people off. Like, I think what I find strange is that if you were trying to sort of hide the fact that it was Spangler's purse, you would have emptied the contents or just like burned it. Like you didn't have to throw it somewhere. So it feels really deliberate that it was found somewhere. Now, Thad Brown was assigned to the case as the lead detective, and, and partially because he had worked a case not too far off from this one, from two years prior. We've already talked about her once. A young wannabe starlet found dead, body severed in half. Elizabeth Shorts, mm-hmm. known probably better as the Black Dahlia. It didn't even take a week for the papers to connect these cases. Uh, and there were other women who'd gone missing in the months prior to to Jean disappearing, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a bit. Uh, and another strange turn of events, actor Robert Stack. Do you know Robert Stack? I'm not familiar. I suspect you will be in just a second. Okay. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh! <laughs> Robert Stack was the host of the original, the OG, oh, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. 
Uh, so that's how I was more familiar with him growing up. But he was quite the movie star back in the day. He released nice. a statement saying he had passed her apartment October 7th, the day she disappeared, and saw a figure lurking. He called the police as soon as it was released that she was missing, which I guess he's like trying to solve mysteries even then. <laughs> um, could it be connected? Sure. Absolutely. Could it be a coincidence? Also, absolutely. It's very hard to tell. <laughs> Police are looking into rumors of a former med student who went by the name of Scotty or Doc who performed abortions in the area. That could be our Dr. Scott. Um, nothing ever came of it. They did find a Dr. Kirk who they looked into because he had apparently mm-hmm. threatened a patient over the phone. Oh, no. But nothing ever. Yeah, that's not that's not great business, buddy. Nothing really ever came of that either. Although, weirdly, he had another associate disappear. But I didn't find any reference to that being connected at all. I just thought it was weird. Oh, my God. Uh, there was, however, another Kirk who had a connection to Gene Spangler. Okay. A little bit more well-known, although in 1949, not as well-known as he would become. Any guesses? No, my brain's not working today. Sorry, That's fair. you have to tell me. <laughs> Kirk Douglas. Really? Father, father of Michael. Spartacus. Father of Michael Douglas. Father of Michael Douglas. <laughs> and Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. You're Spartacus. We're all Spartacus. Uh, he contacts police. Okay. Unprompted. And said that Gene had been working on a movie with him. Young man with a horn. Uh, <laughs> horrible name for a movie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a porn movie. It does. <laughs> I think it is a porn movie. <laughs> Not this one, but I think there is a porn there called is Young one Man with a Horn. All right. Inspiration. At least one. Yeah. Um, now, again, this is unprompted. He calls to tell the cops that, that, like, yeah, she was mostly doing, I think it was a bit part or extra work. He didn't really remember her. Maybe he spoke to her. No one asked him to do this, but he felt compelled to clarify all of this. And then he would say to the papers, he released a statement I told Detective Chief Thad Brown that I didn't remember the girl or the name until a friend recalled it was she who worked as an extra in a scene with me in my picture, Young Man with a Horn. Then I recalled that she was a tall girl in a green dress, and that I talked and kidded with her a bit on the set, as I have done with many other people. But I never saw her before or after that, and have never been out with her. So I don't know about you, Gabby, but all of this strikes me as a wee bit suspicious. Just a smidge. Just a wee bit. Like, I can understand if police questioned him, but it's not like Kirk is the most uncommon name in the world. I guess at the time, it, it's not. It's, it's not, not no. And it's also, I mean, she did background on a movie with him why why would anyone necessarily connect the two why feel compelled to preemptively tell the police and the papers not just the police the papers that he had no connection with her out of maybe joking around with her on set one day maybe that's weird that's weird yeah uh now he was in palm springs on october 7th Okay. He wasn't necessarily directly involved. However, again, going back to that note, addressed to Kirk, had they been involved? Maybe. Had she gotten pregnant? 
Her mother would say, I heard her talk about a Kirk she knew around the sets, but she was at first one studio and then another. And she'd been picked up a few times by a Kirk who she'd been seeing, but no one in her family ever saw who it was. Okay. So do I actually think he was involved in her death? Probably not. There's do not enough. He, yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough there. And and I, I'm I'm kind of of the philosophy, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later when we kind of go through all the theories, but I sort of lean towards the abortion or possible abortion or the note actually having very little to do with her disappearance. Um, do I think he was involved with her? Probably. I think there's a, yeah, I think there's a very real possibility. And he also, you know, he had a reputation for the women he was involved with. Sure. Um, he also had some accusations of very problematic behavior. Uh, including allegedly sexually assaulting Natalie Wood as a teenager. Ugh. Now, it doesn't make him a murderer, but it does make him a garbage human being. That's just going to say, that just makes him a shit person. Yeah, no, he's just a shit person. There's a lot of shit people in the world. Doesn't mean they're murderers. Doesn't mean they're great. But uh, no, I, I, I don't believe he had anything to do with her death, at least not directly. Sure. Um, but I uh, honestly, if he hadn't done the whole song and dance of talking to the police and talking to the papers, it I'd probably be like, all right, yeah, that's kind of weird, but probably a coincidence. It just is a little bit of the, you know, he thinks the lady doth protest too much kind of thing of like, he's trying real hard to be like, I have nothing to do with her. I don't know. But who knows? Uh, speculation as to what happened is rising. A lot of headlines, again, linking this case to Elizabeth Short. Uh, missing actress feared 10th mutilation victim? I'm not sure where the other nine were outside of uh, Elizabeth Short, but okay. Fear yeah. that Dancer was lured to death. And there was one. Gene Spangler believed victim in Dahlia series. Which is extremely misleading, because also there is no body. And there's not really any other bodies they're directly looking at outside of our Black Dahlia case from a couple years prior. But I guess that makes it a series. It sounds good. It sounds good. It's like a British series. There's only two episodes in that. Yeah, I just it just feels like they're trying to grasp <coughs> straws, to be honest. Well, and sensationalization. Exactly, like the, yeah. the Black Dahlia case was such a huge, huge case. Mm -hmm. It's going to sell papers if you link it. Right. Was there a serial killer? Probably not. <laughs> Could it be the same person that killed the Black Dahlia? Probably not. I, her body was designed to be found. Yeah, that was like the opposite of the situation. Yeah. If if this was the same person, I feel like there would have been a body. There was a lot of mob activity. I mentioned that earlier. She had been connected to to a number of mobsters. Could that be what had happened? Potentially. Sure, Potentially. So on October 14th, so we're now looking about a, a week after she would have disappeared, 13-year-old Shirley Ann Morse reported seeing Spangler sitting in the passenger side of a large car. According to the teen, 
I could see Jean plainly inside, and I recognized her positively. She was nervous and frightened looking. The man driving the car seemed older. Now, Shirley Ann knew Jean. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't like she saw her picture in the paper and saw a woman that she thought looked like her. She knew Jean and said this was Jean. A waitress in Monterey thought she saw her at a restaurant. And, I mean, sightings like this start popping up all over California, Palm Springs especially, even Arizona and Mexico. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this mob theory. Police took this pretty seriously, and this is one that came up in a lot of the papers. Jean used to go to, to Palm Springs a fair bit. Uh... They actually went there to see if they could catch any leads, if they could talk to anyone who had seen her recently or continued to see her. And they found out she'd been seen in the company of Davy Ogle and Frank Nicoly, who were employees of a mob boss named Mickey Cohen. This is where it gets kind of weird. Because Davy and Frank, they were under indictment. They also went missing right around the same time hmm. that Jean went missing. Isn't that convenient? It's very convenient. Now, Nicoly at least was presumed dead. And I read something that the only trace ever found of him was his, uh, it was like his keys in a drain. Police believed his body was at the bottom of the Cucamonga Vineyard Lime Pit. Does that ring a bell to you? No, but I'm just proud of you for pronouncing that correctly. Cucamonga? Yeah. It's a great word. Rancho Cucamonga, it's a place. Uh, however, neither he nor Ogle were ever found either. And sightings of all three of them started to become really common. In fact, four months after Jean disappeared, a U.S. customs agent in El Paso reported, uh, <clears throat> reportedly shouted a woman whom they thought was Jean Spangler in the company of Davy Ogle and Frank Nicoly. Hmm. Her mom, Florence, would later say, though... Something horrible must have happened to her. If she were alive, she would have telephoned me. Nobody can tell me she'd have left her baby unless she was forced to. And I will say I agree with that. From everything we've seen of Jean, she would not have voluntarily stayed away from her daughter. Sure. Which leads us to another person who does deserve a little bit more scrutiny. Okay. Her ex, Dexter. Dexter is shady as shit. Dexter is shady as shit. And Sophie, the sister-in-law, said that after Jean disappeared, when he came to take Christine, he had scratches on his face. Oh, well, hello. Now, he had an alibi for the night of Jean's disappearance, but the alibi was his new wife. Which, like, I, like I'm sorry. I'm always a little suspicious when the one person who can give you an alibi is your partner. And the person that actually replaced the person that is missing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also, like, I don't know. Would you lie for Terrence and say that he was with you, even if he wasn't, if it was a matter of police or not? Yes, of course. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, I... <sighs> no one heard me say that. I didn't say that. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh... There's also, and I, I tried to find more information on this, and I, I couldn't find a whole lot, but there was boating documents, apparently, suggesting he took his vessel out the night that Jean disappeared. Also, sketch. Also, sketch. 
Benner took his daughter back and refused to let her grandmother see her. So Florence goes to court to try to get visitation. And I found an article talking about the custody case. The judge spoke privately with Christine, who was about six by then. And the judge would say, she's one of the smartest children of her age I've ever seen. I want the grandmother to come here tomorrow, and I believe we can work out an arrangement for the best interest of the child. The best interest being, let the grandmother have visitation. But much like he did with Jean, Dexter refused to bring Christine to these visits. He was actually ordered to serve 15 days in jail for being in contempt of court because he kept refusing to bring Christine to these visits. So what does this dickhead do? What? Flees to Florida with Ugh. Christine, never to return. That's even more shady. So shady. Uh, he also tried to get his new wife, Lynn, to adopt Christine on the grounds that Jean had abandoned their daughter. But the judge was like, yeah, no, nice try, buddy. Oh, my God. Uh, but after he was in Florida, there was nothing that could really be done. And he kept his daughter away from all of her mother's family. And I don't like him. No, he, <laughs> he died. Really shitty. Oh, yeah, no, he was super shitty. He died in like 2007. Um, Christine's still alive, but uh, refuses to talk to anybody about the case or her mother or her father for that matter. So um, I don't blame her. Yeah, I, well, and it's got to be hard too when from a pretty young age, who knows what her father was even saying about her mother, her mother's family or any of it. And also, who knows what Florida did to her man? Like, does horrible things to a person <laughs> yeah i have a first-hand experience of that yeah sorry to any of our listeners in florida i'm, I'm uh, sorry but also <laughs> if you're listening choice. to us you get it <laughs> yeah you do actually true true story but like this case oh so this case is just so frustrating because there's so many possibilities but no real evidence evidence evidence, evidence. there were a couple other cases that are sometimes spoken about the same time as Jean Spangler's a woman named Mimi Boomhauer. What a name. It's a great name. She's a 48 year old wealthy widow. She would disappear without a trace on August 18th of 1949. So a couple months before Jean Spangler on August 24th. Okay. So this is, this is a little weird. Her purse would be found in a phone booth on Wilshire Boulevard. Like Spangler's purse, nothing seemed to be disturbed. And strangely, there was a note inside. And the note said, police department, we found this at a beach Thursday night. What? Right? Why wouldn't someone just take it to the police department? Right. And when they ran, like, I guess they, they ran some kind of 1949 forensics on it. And there was no nothing to, to actually show that it had been near the sea or a beach. But, okay, so earlier I mentioned Thomas Ellery Evans, who's a, a gambler and, and possible mobster who had been linked to Gene. He was also questioned in Mimi Broomhauer's disappearance. But he said, quote, I never met either Mimi Broomhauer or Gene Spangler. I don't want to meet them despite my age. Police evidently think I'm a Casanova. He was like 49. <laughs> what would a good-looking young actress like Miss Spangler be doing with me? Oh, that's really funny. So, again, I don't necessarily think he was linked at all. I just enjoy his sass. That's a great quote. Good, it's good a great find. quote, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, a woman named Gladys Kern was found murdered in February of 1948. She'd been stabbed to death while she was showing a house. She was a real estate broker. A note was sent that apparently named the killer, but nothing really came of it. I don't know why this one gets mentioned in the same 
breath as as Mimi and Jean's disappearance or even Elizabeth Short's mm-hmm. uh, death? Well, no, I do. Because there is one man, one specific man, who has decided to link them. Oh. I mentioned him when we recorded our Black Dahlia episode. Oh. Steve Hoddle. I don't remember that name. My that's, memory that's is fair. terrible. No, it's, it's again, this was a while ago. So for, for our listeners who may not remember, who have not listened to it, Steve Hoddle, born and bred in Los Angeles. He worked in the LAPD for a number of years, became a private investigator. His father was a doctor named George Hoddle. And Steve believes that George Hoddle, his father, was the man who killed Elizabeth Short and was responsible for the deaths and disappearances of all of these women. He believed his father was part of some sort of abortion ring and that the Kirk in this note is not the actor, but a doctor who'd been arrested shortly before the disappearance. Oh. If Steve is to be believed, his, his father was some kind of like, I don't know, serial killer mastermind who killed lots of women. Uh, he wrote in his one of his Black Dahlia Avenger books. He's wrote in all these books. I'm I, I'm sorry if I, I'm sorry for the tone of my voice. I am not a huge fan of his books or most of his theories. But he did say, quote, I believe that Kirk is not a first name. As LAPD chief of detectives that Brown tried to suggest when he personally interviewed actor Kirk Douglas, but a surname. Kirk, I submit, was Dr. Eric Kirk, Sergeant Stoker's chiropractor, abortionist, and informant. Hmm. Um, I don't know. This is all kind of like, this is starting to get a bit much. His theory is essentially that, like, she writes a note to her doctor, Dr. Kirk, who was supposed to be giving her an abortion, but then got arrested. So she's writing him a note to be like, I'm going to go this other bro to get an abortion. Hmm. Uh, sure. <laughs> it could be. We don't know. I mean, it could be. We don't know. You're right. You're right. I just, why would she, what? I also, like, if he just got arrested, why give more evidence? Because isn't that kind of giving evidence to support that he's doing illegal things? Yeah, but not everybody thinks about that. That's true. Uh, now, Steve Hoddle also said that, okay, sorry, track this sentence. Steve Hoddle said that his older brother Duncan said... <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. That his father was dating a, quote, gorgeous actress type named Jean around this time. So if you believe. Yeah, that's like half of Hollywood. But if you believe this giant game of telephone, maybe it was her. Uh, Steve Hoddle believes his father was the man seen with Jean at the gas station. And according to him, quote, it's my belief. She started dating dad either late September, early October. He gets arrested for incest. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, side note. We talk about this in the Black Dahlia episode, but yeah, no, he absolutely got arrested for incest. Uh, bails out the same day. Then the night of her disappearance, she's seen talking to this guy in the restaurant, and they're arguing. Arguing? <laughs> and they're arguing. She knew something. So he thinks that... Okay. She thinks that he was driven to kill Spangler... After this argument, because she was mad, he'd been charged with incest. Which, you know, most normal people would be. (laughs) But then he would also say, quote, he didn't necessarily need a reason to kill someone because, you know, he's a serial killer. So this is a lot to take in. This is so, like, far reaching. (laughs) I know. Well, I think that's where I'm reading through this. (laughs) 
And as a theory, it's you are trying so hard to put that square peg in that round hole, man. Um, but this this theory gets talked about in reputable articles I have read about this case. So I'm trying to keep a little of this tone out of my voice. I'm not succeeding. I, I, I'm judging the <laughs> hell out of this. Um, also, okay, you know who backs me up on this? So the hmm. LAPD captain, Ed Jockish. Jokish? Jockish? Sure. He wrote an open letter to Hoddle <laughs> where he says, I love this so much, I'm sorry. Quote, your book is filled with so much baseless innuendo, misinformation, and faulty logic that it would be impossible to address it all in a letter. Oh, my God. <laughs> and honestly, yeah, that sums all of my feelings up. That is how I feel. Damn. Yeah. So, honestly, I'm fine discounting this entire theory, but it was so batshit I had to talk about it. I, I love when you do that, though, so I support it. My weird little tangents. Yeah. Right, again, this is this is an actual theory, though. Um, I'm sorry if you're a fan of the Black Dahlia Avenger books. I, I that that that's great. That's great. Um, <laughs> they are not compelling for me personally. I'll leave it at that. So, I mean, <laughs> no one else can see my face but you right now, Gabby. That's fair. That's fair. So these are these are the main theories. Ex-husbands. Botched abortion, George Hoddle, sorry, and mob. And and trying to piece together which one of these makes the most sense. When I went into researching this case, because I, I, I was familiar with this case. I've seen stuff on it before. Mm -hmm. My mind has always very much been on the botched abortion. But looking at it more thoroughly, I have to say... The sightings of her go very late in the evening. Even if we discount the sighting of her at the gas station and then say, okay, he was identifying her from a picture. Maybe that was someone else. I'm struck by that timeline. Because at what point was she going away to have an abortion? And this is all speculation on my part. It just seems odd. She's going out. She's socializing. She's seen out of the place with men. There's that sighting a couple days later by the 13-year-old who says she knew her. Mm -hmm. So for me, I come back to the mob connections. Because where I'm hella suspicious of everything having to do with the ex-husbands, the timelines, again, seem weird to me. Because if he did have an actual appointment with her and lied about it, wouldn't they have met earlier in the evening? Maybe. Like, it seems weird to be like, I'm going to go meet my ex-husband. And we're meeting at 2 a.m. on his boat in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, yes, that does. Same sketch. She was reliably seen till about 2 in the morning. So... I could see her actually having the meet. Like, maybe they did have the meeting. Maybe they got into a fight. Maybe the scratches were from Jean. And the reason the husband didn't want to own up to that is because it would look hella suspicious. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and if it was him, I also don't buy that the death was premeditated. No. I feel like that's similar to, like, Lady of the Lake story. Absolutely. Um... 
But the mob stuff, the mob stuff, the other two guys disappearing around the same time. I mean, it could have even been a wrong place, wrong time kind of thing, or she knew a little too much. Like she was so plugged in to so many people. Was there someone afraid she'd been told something she shouldn't know? Was she with them and, and you know, saw too many things and they didn't know what to do with her, so eventually they killed her? Ah, it, it drives me kind of crazy. And there was no body. What do you think? Where, where do you sit with some of these theories? Because this, this one really has me just completely confounded. I think initially I wanted to say it was the ex-husband. Like, I feel like that's, there were too many convenient things associated with, like, his alibi. Sure. And oftentimes, that's who does that type of crime. That's who does that type of crime. No, yeah. absolutely. So I feel like naturally, like, my brain wants to gravitate to that. But you do make a good point about the timing. The um, timeline doesn't yeah. fit for me for it to be him. <clears throat> Unless the, you know men she was seen arguing with if he was one of the men there but i feel like i feel like someone would have identified him or if there was a second guy why mm -hmm. was there a second guy it just it just doesn't fully add up to me um there was yeah, also weird. yeah and, and thinking about like the robert stack him seeing somebody on the street again was it someone connected to the mob who was tailing her keeping his eye on her you don't know any of that though and that's a lot of assumptions right but that's the this, that's this whole case yeah is is you just don't have you have too many possibilities but nothing that can really be looked at to say oh it must have been this or it must have been this there's no evidence evidence, evidence. evidence. and a lot of that comes back to there's no body well, it's hard to have evidence when you don't have a body. Well, because even finding a body gives us an idea of how she was killed. Sure. Or how she died. And it's, it's not going to solve the case, but it could help. Sure. Her um, poor kid. It, her poor kid. I know. Well, and the, the case remains unsolved to this day, as I said. Uh, and apparently there's no case file that still exists for her disappearance. So That's none weird. of the evidence they actually had, like the purse or the notes, are known to exist outside of pictures. Huh. What broke my heart was a quote from Florence, her mother, in a 1952 newspaper, which was, quote, I just don't feel that she is alive anymore. Somehow I have lost the feeling that she is alive. Oh, that's so sad. It's really sad. And, and... I mean, I don't think she's wrong, even in 1952. I, I think, um, but, oh, man, to be a parent and know that your kid is dead or most likely dead, but to not have any other information, to not That's know like, how or why. And to not be able to put your child to rest yeah. and, like, have a place to grieve for mm -hmm. their body. Like, mm -hmm. That's rough. It's heartbreaking. But uh, that is the disappearance of Jean Spangler. Also, just I'm a big fan of all of the names. Oh, yeah. Names <laughs> are fa one. All the names are fantastic. Um, yeah. Dang. I love all the old all Hollywood names. Uh, but it ends on a little bit of a downer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bummer. I mean, but also that's just 
unexplained, unsolved things in general. I feel like yeah. it's hard to have any kind of resolve when you don't have resolve. Mm-hmm. So it's just unfortunate mm-hmm. that it never it got continued to be investigated in that way. Well, and again, just the lack of connections to anything. Yeah. Particularly when you had so many sightings. Uh, but just, again, it's that lack of body. The lack of body is really, is, is really, really hard. Um, yeah. There we have it. Damn. And this brings us to... <laughs> Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Cam, what you watching? I've been watching a couple things lately. I actually went and saw The Blackening. Ooh, I remember. You told me you were going to go see that. I was really excited to. Uh, It was a blast. It's it's a um, kind of a, a horror comedy. And it leans into, it's very satirical, it leans into a lot of the, the tropes of, of horror films and stereotypes that you see in uh, especially slashers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm kind of surprised more people aren't talking about it. I don't know, um, I don't actually know how good the box office was, but I just thought it was such a good time. It was, it was a blast. It was a nice blend of horror and comedy. Uh, and just just really well done great cast and uh yeah if you if you have a chance see it in theaters if not i'm sure it'll be streaming soon but check it out it's just it's just a really fun movie and it's accessible if you're not the biggest horror fan because it is that kind of satirical horror comedy um if you're looking for something that's not really scary but a good time absolutely watch it i would watch that yeah, no, it's 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 fun. It's just it's just fun. Uh, the the other one that I just watched last night, which we're by the time we say this last night will have been eons ago, uh, is a movie called Perfect Blue. Hmm, I haven't heard it, of that. It is a Japanese uh, animated psychological thriller horror film. Ooh, it's very well known uh it's 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 um one that i actually had not seen before though it's been on my list forever to watch and it was on the last drive-in with joe bob briggs last night but like i you know anime has never been my my biggest thing i i was really into sailor moon when i was a teenager i used to love sailor moon sailor moon was the freaking best man uh but i you know i've 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 enjoyed some stuff i've seen but i'm i'm not someone who's who's sought out a lot of stuff this is kind of making me change my mind on that this movie's fantastic it is absolutely fantastic it is so well directed it is so well done it's like a japanese giallo film uh and lots of stuff with identity and reality and fantasy uh it's it's streaming i watched it on shutter obviously i was watching it with the last drive-in but i I think it's streaming in a couple other places but like it is it is absolutely worth a watch uh i i highly 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 recommend it even if you're someone who's like i'm not really into i'm not really into anime don't i don't care watch it watch it just do it. it just 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 do it just watch it it is it is so so good and so worth it uh, nice. What, what you been watching? 
Um, I feel like we just recorded and I told you like 75 things that I, I watched the last time <laughs> we that did, we recorded. We did because talk our, about a lot of things. Our yeah. schedule's a little off right now. We are. Um, but I actually... I think I mentioned this a while ago. I discovered that through one of the subscriptions I have, I have access to Shutter now. And so mm-hmm. I've been like poking around. I already mm-hmm. talked about Nope a while ago. I rewatched mm-hmm. Nope because Terrence hadn't seen it yet. And so it's it's not on it's Shutter, but TikTok, I think I did watch it. I'm sorry, th- my stream of consciousness brain is not working <laughs> normally right now. Um I did watch Nope again recently, mm-hmm. but I also was exploring other similar realms of horror that I wanted to like venture into that I haven't sure. yet and realized I had access to Shutter. And so as I was going through Shutter, I found Cursed Movies Part 2 hey. and started watching that mm-hmm. and specifically watched the episode on The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. super interesting. And I uh-huh. had kind of heard certain things about The Wizard of Oz in the past, um, but I didn't know as much as what was talked about on there, which was wild. And it made it's, me think uh, we might we should probably cover that. Oh, at no, some point. it's on my list of of cursed movies to look at. Yeah, that's a wild, wild story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Mythbusters dude is on it. And it just made me think of you and the way that you think about things. And I was like, it's like Kim. Look at that. <laughs> hey. um, but yeah, I watched uh, just that one episode because the next one was Rosemary's Baby. And I was like, we already, I've already, we just talked yeah, about this. We, we did this as an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I'll always find it really fascinating the way that they talk about like what's going on in history at the time that that film was made and how mm-hmm. it influenced the film. Uh-huh. And so um, I like a visual reference. So it was cool to see some of that stuff on there. Yeah. Um, so I watched that. And then I have been keeping up with Outlander because a new episode came out this week and I had to watch it. And I just keep hoping that it's going to get better. And it never does. And so... Dare to dream. You know, I have so much loyalty to certain things that I just have to see through that I'm like, I just, I gotta, I gotta watch it. Do what you gotta Um, do. And yeah, so that's what I've been watching. Nothing really out of the ordinary, just, you know, give me a period piece. Or some kind of, like, historic, fun documentary of some sure. sort. And I'm, I'm good. Or trash TV. And, you know, I'll save the, the ears of everyone on here about the trash TV <laughs> realm. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've been watching. I'll probably have way more to talk about the next time that we record, though, because it's we just recorded a week it's gonna ago. It's going to be, a, yeah, a couple, couple weeks from now. Yeah. Actually, I think, and I... I'm trying to think. I think 100 Days of Horror will have started by then. So oh, you'll have so much. So, in fact, uh, the first movie that I'll be kicking 100 Days of Horror off with is a movie called The Driller Killer. That's such a great name. Isn't that a great name? Uh, so I'll be doing a live tweet <laughs> of that on... Uh, let me get, make sure I give you the right date. On July 23rd, Ooh. I'll be doing a live tweet, so I'll be on Twitter, of The Driller Killer... At uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So you can come and join if you'd like. It should be potentially awful in a good time. (laughs) You know, what's funny is I was just going to say this as I was trying to like look through some things that I haven't watched yet that look kind Mm -hmm. of interesting. And then I'll start watching something and be like, this is stupid. And I'll just turn it off because I can't watch it all the way through. And I had found a Bigfoot movie on... um, I think it was on Prime, and it was supposed to be making fun of the way Vice does oh, documentaries. Do you know what I'm talking about? I could not watch it. I like we put it on. We were like, 
<laughs> I think I awful. watched it during 100 Days of Horror last year. And there was some stuff in it that I liked, but I kind of wanted it to be a little I like I wanted to sort of go further with what it was doing. Yeah, uh, just I I lost interest so quickly. I yeah, was like, this is bad. I if I'm remembering right, I felt at the time like it needed to be more satirical than it was, that it 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 was a little too kind of middle of the road where it was like, mm, this could actually be this. Either though. commit or don't. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. either need to just go balls to wall with it or make mm-hmm. it like legit but it was it was kind of a little too in between but the idea was cool yeah for sure but i've been doing a lot of that where i'll start something and be like nah (laughs) can't finish it um but anywho that's what we've been watching that's what we've been watching we hope you enjoyed our 100th episode this was a wild time you kind of got like a sneak peek of some of the things we talk about in uh ghoul side chats we'll find a topic and talk about it Mm -hmm. so we thought we'd gift all of our listeners I'll just a little chat about 100 episodes before we started our topic for today. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for being here with us through 100 episodes. Woo. And if you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. If you want to give us a review, we really appreciate that, too. Spotify also does the ratings as well. And if you mm-hmm. would like to financially contribute, you can head on over to our uh, Patreon. Get mm-hmm. some extra content, a uh, little sneak peeks of, like, bts videos unedited random things that we talk about that you get to see like our friendship behind the scenes it's great uh lots of sirens lots of sirens and planes so many sirens and planes um but thank you so much for listening and having said that stay